is Bloomberg Surveillance. The Fed's not really hiking, they're normalizing. And I think that's a big difference in their mentality in terms of how they're thinking. A stronger dollar creates some challenges for emerging markets in general and for China in particular. What we've typically seen is that the markets get ahead of themselves in terms of how many rate hikes they've priced in for the Fed. And then when that's happening, the dollar strengthens. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. Bloomberg Surveillance on a Friday, and a most interesting Friday, is markets really across the globe try to get to a Fed meeting June 15th and on to June 23rd, and that important vote uh, in England. We will get to uh, the markets here with an extensive data check in a moment, and then John Sylvia joining us from Wells Fargo. This morning, Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by, as always, Invesco. Don't settle for average in your portfolio to Invesco. The right approach means investing with high conviction. Find out more at Invesco.com slash high conviction. Where to begin? Let's start with the equity markets. Futures at negative 9, negative 10. They deteriorate over the last two hours. Negative 12 right now. Down futures. Negative 85. All you need to know is yields are in. They are compressed and stay compressed overnight in Asia and start the morning compressed with a little bit of good ebb in the last 20 minutes. The 10-year yield, 1.65%. The German 10-year, a positive 0.03%. That is lower than 24 hours ago. And the Swiss 20-year, which went negative a few days ago, plunged two hours ago to a negative 0.08. It's come back a little bit here. Dollar yen, 106.75. So we begin with John Sylvia. Uh, John, I, I want to go to the markets and the Fed and all that talk, but I want to talk first about your wonderful work on jobs. Sure. We know at the end of a recession, the unemployment rate comes down quickly. It has. It shocked everybody from the 10% you predicted, and I'm down, we've come way under 5%. Are they good jobs? Well, on average, the answer is yes, they're good jobs, but there are a lot of jobs with low wages and not a lot of benefits, which a lot of people are concerned about. And quite frankly, uh, labor force participation rates have been somewhat disappointing, so there's still not enough good jobs. Are they jobs that are benefited? We talk, I mean, I get the idea, and I get huge mail from our listeners on this, of full-time versus part-time. But is a full-time job now like a full-time job it was 20 or 40 years ago? I don't think it is. Well, certainly in terms of job security, it is not. And, again, yes, there are significant benefits, but once again, uh, a lot of folks are really tied to those benefits, and the uncertainty really eats away at people. Over time, they become more cautious. Uh, they start saving a little bit more. Right. Uh, they're not taking out credit the way they did five or ten years ago. So it's, it's a very different ballgame. You were writing about a low-growth trap. Is America part of that low-growth trap? Oh, I think certainly it is. Uh, when you look at the global growth in trade, that's been disappointing. Uh, when you look at our inability to get to 25 3% economic growth on a sustained basis. Where are you the next 12 months? Just frame that for us. Quickly. Oh, just about 1.5%, I mean, look at the potential GDP, a conversation we had earlier with Dino, uh, the, the ability of labor force participation rates <laughs> being disappointing and productivity, again, Robert Gordon, uh, really being disappointing. Robert Gordon... 
said the one glimmer he saw was finally that the animal spirit of Jobs would click in. I would suggest, even with a moldy Jobs report the other day, that wage growth and a little bit of inertial inflation that we're getting is out front of the real economy. We're not seeing in job count, unit count, body count, what we're seeing with a little bit of more wage growth. Is one of the surprises coming up that wage growth flattens again or even lessens a little bit? Well, I, I just don't see wage growth accelerating all that great, given the inflation and productivity numbers. I mean, they have yeah, to you be can't. The math basic. Doesn't work. The math doesn't work. The microeconomics just simply doesn't work. When, when we look at two Americas, and you've written so much about this, part of the confidence of a better economy, and if we have a jolt survey the other day that's better than that, part of it is I want to get up and move and go somewhere to a new job. You're one of our experts on our labor mobility. Are you seeing glimmers there of a better labor economy? Well, glimmers in terms of labor mobility, yes, but nowhere near what we thought 20, 20, 30 years ago. And also some work that, you know, Sarah House, my colleague and I have worked on is that when you're looking at the labor mobility overall between income categories, that's pretty limited. In other words, people are getting the jobs, but they're not moving up in terms of the income quintiles in the economy. And that, that goes to the same. I guess that goes to Larry Summers and secular stagnation. How do you define secular stagnation within the tumult of the markets and your idea of a low-growth trap? Well, the, the anecdote for me is when you have a lot of parents saying that maybe our kids won't achieve what we have, and then the kids, the millennials, realizing, well, wait a minute, what does that mean for me? That means my opportunities are pretty limited. So there is a little secular stagnation in the smaller cities, the industrial towns, that lower middle income and middle income yeah. group. And that's a challenge politically and economically. You see it in the election. And, and, and one of the advantages of having you here is, is Wells Fargo has a, a, a few shingles they've put up in other territories. Absolutely. Besides three zip codes in New York City. I, I, Mike and I talk about this every day. We are completely deformed in our clarity of thought by living on the island of Manhattan. That disparity, I mean, it borders back to the 19th century now, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. We do a lot of regional work at Wells Fargo. Yeah. In the, the, what you call second-tier cities and third-tier cities, where we have a significant market presence. And it is a challenge to see the difference in income and employment growth in different areas. Let's get back to the markets. We've talked sure. about it all morning, but let's uh, reinvigorate our radio audience with a German 10-year trying to go negative 0.032% right now. I guess, John, the best, the best vanilla ice cream of all this tumult is the yield curve. The Wall Street Journal had a nice summary of it yesterday. 89 basis points, less than 1% difference between the 2-year and the 10-year. What is the significance that all of that movement in this tumultuous week has been out at the 10-year yield? Well, I would say start out with the five-year, five-year forward inflation expectations. Right. They've really come down pretty dramatically. It says that inflation expectations are not well anchored, contrary to what some people might, might claim to be true. And therefore, you've got lower in growth expectations and <clears throat> inflation expectations. You know, again, with your friend Michael Pence uh, talking about, you know, what happens about the signaling process in economics. 
well, you know, when Michael Spencer talks about that, it, it, he's saying that, hey, the market is signaling lower okay. growth expectations, lower mm. inflation expectations. I, I love that you're doing this. Michael Spence will say that the laureate from NYU. The real question to me then is does the collective body of the Fed look at those market signals? Many would suggest they're not big fans of sophisticated five-year gaming of what will be out five years from now. Well, that may have been true. Can Stanley Fisher ignore five-year, five-year forwards? I, I cannot believe he does, nor that I think that Lael Brainerd ignores the, the international aspect of this whole story. I mean, she's got to be sitting there looking at the, the South Korean situation, looking at global trade, looking at interest rates in general. Christine Lagarde talks about weaker global growth. Uh, I think it's all in there. I haven't asked this question yet. Let me try it on you. The shock is oil 30 to 50. If we said that in a vacuum, we'd be like the world's going to come to an end. Are we anywhere near where rising oil prices begin to dampen the marginal consumption? I I think at this point in time, the answer is no. I think we're We're just not there yet. We're not there. I mean, you see it, folks, $51.39 on Brent. NYMEX below 50, $49.93 as well. I guess I got to come back to the parlor game. You and Michael McKee and I will talk about this uh, here as well. June, no. July, no. I believe I heard you earlier hinting at September. Yes. Maybe? I mean, where, where are we? One or two rate rises this year. My answer is nobody has a clue. <laughs> nobody has a clue. We have to get through Brexit. But I don't like the signals that we talked about earlier uh, in terms of global economic growth, central banks lowering their policy interest rates, and the inability, Tom, to move into constructive fiscal policy moves, real restructuring in the economy uh, in terms of rules and regulations. It just seems as if we, we say the Fed can't be the only game in town, but no one seems to go to that second inning or the third inning. Well, they don't. But this, again, in, in the rhetoric that we're getting from Chair Yellen is absolutely original. If she is central banker to the world, she's got to say that in the press conference on June 15th, overtly. I'm the central banker of the world, and I can't do this alone. I, I think the personality of Chair Yellen is that humility is probably first and foremost. To so make that claim might be a bit too much, but in actions, she can actually be that. I'll go with you with the humility uh, as well. John Sylvia with us with Wells Fargo will continue this discussion much more uh, through the morning. Let me, let me give you... Um, Again, a data check with a little bit of color to it. Let's try foreign exchange. The yen was a 107 briefly, 106.76. We're nowhere near the 105 print, but nevertheless, persistent, strong yen this morning. Euro, 112.99 with euro yen indicating a 120.64. On economics, finance, investment, on international relations, Bloomberg surveillance. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhiteplains.com. Here's John Tucker with News Headlines. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says Donald Trump needs to pick an experienced running mate because he doesn't know a lot about the issues. He strongly urged him to change course on his rhetoric. Elizabeth Warren and Hillary Clinton will meet privately this morning. This is according to the Washington Post. The sit-down may fuel speculation about her prospects as a potential VP pick. 
For the second time in less than a month, golfing great Phil Mickelson's gambling has been linked to court proceedings in which a suspected gambling associate faced criminal charges. And Air France says it will maintain 90% of both domestic and long-haul flights Saturday, the beginning of a four-day pilot strike that threatens to hamper travel for fans attending the 2016 European Soccer Championships in the country. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists in more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm John Tucker. Tom and Michael. All right, John Tucker, thank you very much. Tom said a day to check with color. Well, the color is red this morning. S&P futures down 11, Dow futures off 78. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Anchin Block and Anchin, named the best accounting firm in North America for the sixth year in a row by Hedgeweek.com. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Van Eck Vectors ETFs. Expect more from your munis. Target tax-exempt income by maturity and credit quality, all with low-cost ETFs. Visit vaneck.com slash muni. Van Eck. Access the opportunities. U.S. stock index futures lower amid declines across markets and asset classes as investors grow cautious following the recent rally. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures are down 11 points. Dow E-mini futures are down 78. And NASDAQ E-mini futures down 27. The DAX in Germany is down 2%. Ten-year Treasury up 8.30 seconds. The yield 1.65%. Yield on the two-year 0.75%. NYMEX crude oil down 1.3%. Percent or 67 cents to 49.89 a barrel. Comex gold down to tenths percent or two dollars sixty cents at 12.7010 an ounce. The euro a dollar 13.01. The yen 106.82. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Kamaska, thank you very much. Now I am Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene and John Sylvia, chief economist at Wells Fargo. Uh, I was listening in in your guys' conversation before, and I, I was sort of thinking maybe what we need to do is just all. You know, give up, go have a drink and forget about it because the world is falling apart here. Well, this is important that we have to give up. John and I are diehard (laughs) Red Sox fans, and we have an agreement that we never talk when the Red Sox are in first place. Well, I was going to ask John what his biggest concern was uh, about, um, you know, the world these days, whether it's Brexit or whether it's the U.S. slowing down or or whether it's uh, whether Big Poppy can, you know, keep hitting uh, throughout the year, whether Red Sox have enough pitching to, you know, get to the World Series. But... Um, I, I think they had their October and September in April. Well, the problem, <laughs> the, the, the problem for people who are Red Sox fans and, and uh, fans of any team is how do you hedge you know, yeah. that, that risk? <laughs> it's just no way to do it. Um, uh, but what is your uh, – leave the Red Sox out of it for a moment. Um, sorry, sorry uh, 1200 AM Boston. Um, what's your biggest concern? Uh, oh, the long list of things we've been talking about, and it's kind of funny. I was just on Bloomberg Go, and we were talking about – the reasons people are buying treasuries and each country has a some sort of you know overhang that is putting investors into it and then of course the US is everybody's haven 
what worries you the most? Well, I think, if, first of all, when you're buying all those treasuries, uh, then there's the pricing of corporate and other debt off of treasuries. And the question is, as Tom was suggesting earlier, if we really don't know the risk-free rate in the marketplace, because it's really not driven by the market itself, but actually by central bank activity, then what is our benchmark for pricing corporate debt and investment grade, high yield agencies, any kind of debt. So that, that's a concern out of that. My biggest concern is the interrelationship between central bank policy, exchange rates, and economic growth. And I'll go back to the South Korea situation. Um, you know, there's a signaling process going on. And when a central bank lowers its interest rates, it's signaling that either their inflation expectations or their growth expectations have moderated. And I think that's interrelationship has really struck the markets hard. And when we look today, and picking up on Karen's comment about the negatives in terms of the markets opening up this morning, it shows that they, too, are reevaluating the pace of economic growth. Well, it's a beautiful Gorgeous day outside in New York City, so scare the heck out of me. Uh, Draw me a negative scenario. What could happen here? Uh, Just continued slow growth, not a pickup in economic growth to some of the 3% numbers some people are talking about, or even 2.5%. That U.S. growth stays about 15 to 2%. We continue with the discussion about the labor market. Uh, yes, there are a lot of great opportunities and a lot of great jobs that will open up for those that are very well educated and, again, can do the math and the science and quadratic equations. Um, but you're not going to create enough growth for the opportunities necessary for a lower middle income, middle income type of worker. And that's the challenge America faces and why there is such frustration in a political right. year. I just had an offspring get back from Norway. In the first comment off the plane, they lost their luggage. Thank you. Uh, but the first uh, comment off the plane was the roads are so smooth. You are with Wells Fargo. You do some of the best, best regional work nationwide. How come we can't have some form of marginal infrastructure policy? Well, in terms of public policy, uh, roads take a long time. The payoff is a long way away, uh, two, three, five, ten years. Uh, and in a political system, that's a hard way to get votes at this point in time. It just, Plain doesn't, and it just doesn't get votes. No. I mean, no. we've got things going on, exciting things like LaGuardia they're going to redo in New York here. And, you know, everybody listening to this knows an infrastructure project that's happening. But given the need for fiscal stimulus – to get away from John Sylvia's one and a half to two percent growth rate, it just seems to be a no-brainer. Well, once again, we get into discuss discussion about the central bank being limited. The Fed cannot be the only game in town. Okay, if it can't be the only game in town, what are the other games we need to play? I mean, you, you talked about Poppy in, in Boston. Well, no team's going to win. I mean, the Red Sox used to have Ted Williams all the time. It was great. Thank you very much. But where's the rest of the team? You can't depend upon one player, nor can you depend upon only one Are arm policy. Are you casting aspersions at Frank Malzone? I, I I love how everything comes back here with these two guys to the Red Sox. Uh, I, 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 to the Malzone family listening this morning on Bloomberg 1200 Boston, don't go after Frank Malzone like that. Dr. All right, can I? Can, we got one minute left. Can I do a Red Sox analogy here? Please. 
Bill Gross yesterday tweeting out, if this keeps up, you know, we're setting up a supernova. We could have a disaster because everybody's piling into the same trade because of what central banks are doing. Could we have a Bucky Dent moment oh, for the global me. economy? This is not fair. Um, well, I would go back to the graphs that we talked about earlier this morning. And when you're dealing with two standard deviations on any graph, there just aren't enough other people on the uh, other side of the trade. And that worries me that the market is, um, you know, especially in the fixed income area, a little bit imbalanced because we really don't have a lot of people dealing with persistent negative interest rates over time. Mm-hmm. That is a new phenomenon. <clears throat> I don't think a lot of people were in position. Yes, going to negative rates, uh, as we saw in this earlier graph um, on Bloomberg, yeah, it was a surprise initially, but persistent negative rates, the that's a very different story. Yeah. yeah, that's a very different well, story. John Sylvia, thank you so much. He is with Wells Fargo, their chief economist. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, futures at negative 11, Bloomberg surveillance. Thank you, gentlemen. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Land Rover Parsippany. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverParsippany.com or 1-800-FIND-4WD. Land Rover, above and beyond.